Before we begin today's podcast, it is really important that we give a special shout out to the amazing companies of industry and families who helped us back through November and December in creating amazing proposals for NASA's CubeSat launch initiative. Thank you so much for your letters of support as well as your financial contributions that lets NASA know that should we be selected yet again, that our students' dreams of going to space can become a reality. Thank you to Aerojet Rocketdyne, AIAA Palm Beach Section, Florida Space Grant Consortium, Workaway International, Casa Palm Beach Realty, American Stairs, Blue Cube Aerospace, and the Missile Space and Range Pioneers, as well as the amazing families of the Burdettes, the El Hauges, the Evard Vessios, the Freestats, the Galarzas, the Josephs, the Kieslings, the Mayvilles, the Makatis, the Levies, the Pattersons, the Shooters, the Strausses, the Timbles, the Weitzos, the Welches, the Wellsfunks, and the Calls. Once again, we love working with your students, and we know that just like us, you look forward to seeing your students' dreams become a reality. Thanks again. Let's go to space, Blue Sky Learning, episode 46, getting to space with a satellite engineer. Today, Kevin and I meet with Matt Orbis. Matt graduated with a bachelor's degree in physics in 2013 and a master's in 2015. Since then, he has been working with Near Space Launch, building satellites and other space subsystems as a project engineer. Working in a small business, Matt has the privilege of operating in the variety of capacities, including proposal writing, mission design, system layout, assembly, integration, mission operations, data analysis, and writing publications. And he's also married with two kids, which he'll tell you has proven to be more challenging than building spacecraft. Matt and Near Space Launch have been especially instrumental to the development of the WCDT, or the Wolfpack CubeSat development team, and we know you're going to love today's episode as much as we love Near Space Launch. As always, please stay tuned after for our takeaways. Matt Orbis, thank you so much for meeting with us this afternoon. I'd like uh, you to open up by maybe sharing a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved in space. Yeah, thank you, Shauna. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. Uh, great to have our relationship pay off and I hit the big leagues being on a podcast here. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so my name is Matt Orbis. I, uh, I work with Near Space Launch. Been working with them for, I think, six years now, um, doing everything from uh, system design and layout of satellites to proposal writing to um, data analysis, electrical engineering, um, all the way through, you know, writing uh, publications uh, on those papers and mission management and such. What is Near Space Launch like? I know that you have a lot of different hats that you wear, but if you're describing what Near Space Launch's role is in the industry in a nutshell, what, what do they do? Uh, there's a couple different uh, primary roles. I say one of one of the main things we do is we develop um, space comm subsystems for uh, for different groups. So NSL has a, a couple different primary roles. I say one of the big ones right now is uh, providing space comms to uh, larger vehicles. So we're doing we'll provide uh, comm suites to um, launch vehicles and uh, deployment vehicles for them to downlink telemetry to their their the rockets and stuff like that and second stage boosters and the space flight sherpas 
Um, and we also developed a full um, spacecraft platform as well that we can integrate payloads onto. So, uh, uh, you know, a, a research group will come to us with a particular sensor they want to fly, and we will develop and build a satellite that can host that sensor, that can power it, run it, collect data from it, and then transmit that data to ground. Awesome. So how long has NSL been in existence and how did you first get started with Near Space Launch? NSL, I think, officially started in 2015. Um, and that's when I officially became involved as well. Me and uh, one of the founders, Hank Voss, uh, he was a professor of mine in my undergrad at Taylor University. And uh, we built two CubeSats in my undergrad together. Um, and so we already had a long working relationship. And then um, after I got my master's, I uh, joined on with him as his first employee. And uh, so it's been growing and doing cool stuff ever since then. It's outstanding. So I would imagine the first time I met you was 2016 at the SmallSat conference. Mm -hmm. You had not even been with the company for a year at that time. Is that right? No, I, I, was, uh, I was fresh off the, the printing press right there. That's outstanding. Well, so when it comes to your work um, that you do with Kevin or, or small, uh, you know, little CubeSat teams or larger ones for that, uh, what role do you play in, in that? So I know, again, many hats, but with specifically in the case of Kevin and maybe the, the CubeSat development team. With the CubeSat development team, um, I, I have much more um, technical involvement. So I'll, I'll be doing a lot of uh, system design and layout of the actual satellites to um, provide a platform that is actually going to make sense for, for their particular payload. Um, and so it'll be configuring different components that we have or sourcing newer components that maybe need a different, that provide a different requirement that can be met. Um, and then I'll, I'll generally be the primary point of contact um, from mission management standpoint. So coordinating um, with the, you know, the clients, which in, in some cases was, was Kevin and, uh, and the launch providers and uh, making sure that licensing goes well and all the regulatory hurdles are met. Um, and so being, being the vendor perspective on all of those meetings. So you get to interact with some of the other companies that they need to have on board in order to go from start the build to launch. Is that correct? Right, right. So I'll interact with uh, the launch providers, you know, with people like Spaceflight and NanoRacks. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the, uh, the launch vehicles themselves, like uh, SpaceX and Northrop Grumman, to meet their range safety concerns, will be on design reviews with NASA um, for their, their own safety reviews. Um, and then also coordinate, you know, FCC licensing and, and those types. Right. Of I, I think you guys introduced us to Mike Miller, who is a really nice guy. We we had interviewed him earlier. Um, yeah, you guys are you guys are. I, I can't say enough positive about you. For people on our uh, podcast not watching the video version of this, I actually am wearing an NSL shirt now. <laughs> that I think He's our brand ambassador. That's right. I think I got it at a small set conference. So what I like most about Near Space Launch is that when I first met you, you had like, it seemed like 15, maybe 18 payloads on orbit. And now you have what? Are, are you over five or 600? Over 600 now. That's, that's outstanding. And, and I know you have such a reliable radio. That's what we always hear is that the NSL radios will always turn on when you get to orbit. So that's yeah, 100% success so far that has uh, been verified. So. 
I was yeah. pulling up uh, the bio because I couldn't remember for the life of me about your background. And I wanted to ask a question on your degree. So I see it here. So physics, right? So you have a, yeah. a, a master's and a, um, a bachelor's in physics. So when you were mm -hmm. first deciding to go into that field, what was it about physics in general that drew you there? I, I was always kind of a, a physics and science junkie. I think I really turned me on to it in high school when I had a couple of really good teachers. But uh, I think when I was like seven years old, I wrote a, a paper and how I, when I grew up, I was going to be an aerospace engineer. Awesome. Uh, so it, it's always been in my blood, you know. Um, yeah. Satellites kind of became a thing for me in college, though, when I got involved in that CubeSat project. That was when, you know, it really got deeply involved with space and um, spacecraft. Right. And were you actually a part of like Hank's first uh, CubeSat that he launched? Was it, um, I want to call it TSAT, but is that the right name? And yep, were you yep, on that as an undergrad? Yeah. Yep. I was designing a, a electric field sensor for that satellite and doing some orbital, orbital decay simulations. You know, I think some of our listeners who are students who've been working on satellites would be fascinated to hear the maybe some of the differences. So what was it like for you as, you know, a, a young man kind of working for the first time on that? And what were some of the things that maybe we could compare how it was then versus how the experiences that they would have? Well, I, I imagine it would be, I don't think CubeSats have changed that much in, uh, in, in six years. But um, I, I know that for me, I mean, the, the first satellite I worked on, everything was just deeply overwhelming. <laughs> and, uh, and it just kind of felt like I just basically had to have my hand held to the whole thing or else I would have no concept of what they were even talking about, you know. Um, but after, you know, getting pushed out in the deep end a few times and realizing I actually had a better grasp of things than I, I thought I did. Um, and, uh, spending countless nights up till 2 a.m. in science labs and stuff, um, you know, eventually you get the hang of it and you, you understand, you know, at least the basics of what's going on. I still consider myself pretty much a rookie in this whole thing. I mean, six years is a lot for someone coming out of college, but in the, in the scheme of, of being a, you know, space systems engineer, still, I'm still very new to this whole thing, you know. Um, so still for me, it, it's every day, trying to glean as much information and learn and, and add value to my skill sets and stuff. That's that. Yes. And for our listeners, I have to tell you, I have leaned on Matt uh, repeatedly, frequently over the years because he is, uh, you know, he, to us, he is the subject matter expert. And I know you've been gracious <laughs> with your time and we, we hired you to do some workshops for us. And we had, uh, when COVID hit, um, you did, I want to say about six hours of videos where we just, the kids, you, you did subsystems breakdowns for the kids. It was outstanding content. And I really appreciate it. Little pivot here. Is it true you were a college football player? I was, I was. I played football for the Air Force Academy and then I played football for uh, Taylor University. Is it, is it true you were a really good football player? I, I did win, um, I think, uh, first team all conference for, uh, for tight end. Yeah. That's, that's not bad. That's not bad. So why, what kept you from the NFL? Is it just the love of physics <laughs> that kept you from the NFL? Uh, it was the realization that, uh, with, for, with my skill sets, I, it would have had to consume my entire life to, uh, to make it. And I, I wanted to spend my life doing other things than just play football all day. Uh, it's, it's outstanding though. You got to, uh, 
you know, a lot of kids play football at young ages and then in high school, but very few make it to college and you, you got to be a college athlete. So that's outstanding. Yeah, um, it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the culture of CubeSats today. And, and I know that, for instance, NASA, their RFP, their, their request this year, they said there's eight states we haven't flown. They get priority. But that's just one little NASA program. From your vantage point, being a, a, a real-world space systems engineer working on real hardware day and night, what do you see the direction of CubeSats, the smaller ones and the little bit larger ones, the three, six, twelves, in constellations and whatnot? Yeah, well, what's cool is, is you know, up until just a couple years ago, or it's kind of been a general trend is, is CubeSats were very much looked down on in the space industry as, as kind of these little toy toy satellites educational satellites little little playthings for students to to do things on um but as technology has progressed and as mindsets have shifted i mean it's just the trend of technology to get smaller and smaller and to have those sizes be far more capable and, and uh, cubesats now are you know a, a very booming part of the space industry and are contributing actual science and technical merit to things we've got you know, CubeSats going around Mars to uh, to check things out and to pave the way for some of the larger satellites and um, testing out lots of, of really critical technology pieces and, and performing real amazing science experiments as well. They're not just, you know, a, a, a test bed for students to cut their teeth on. They're, they're really valuable and uh, contributing to what, we, what we're doing nowadays in space. Does that mean that it's that there are other folks besides university students or, or, or students who are actually using them now? Quite a few, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of, uh, of commercial um, groups that are, are, are developing sensors that can either be tested on CubeSat or flown for their primary mission on CubeSats, doing, you know, Earth to space um, measurements, doing, you know, remote sensing of the Earth, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Is it Planet that is doing the flock of the just flocks of these three U cubesats which image mm -hmm. the Earth? Uh, and I believe they have like a couple of hundred, right? They they have a, a really large constellation. Yeah, I think they've got a couple hundred. Yeah, and they're they're doing imaging of the Earth and then um, providing those images to different groups. That's outstanding. So you've been at NSL. I guess you you're pretty happy there. You you were employee number one, and you're mm -hmm. Several hundred satellites later, you're you're still the you know still there. Um, what do you see as the future for near space launch? Do you have any exciting products or programs you want to share with us? Uh, and um, you know what's your company up to these days? Yeah, well, I'd say you know one of the, the new areas that we're moving into is is one that we've talked to you about, Kevin. Is is what we're calling this troop program or the, the train rapid on orbit payload. Uh, which is taking is basically combining a, a CubeSat with these uh, launch vehicle, you know, communication suites and making them kind of the same thing. And um, and so we'll we'll bolt onto the outside of a of a second stage booster or a, a Sherpa deployment vehicle. Um, and in exchange for us providing um, telemetry and comm access for the Sherpa vehicle we will be allowed to host payloads on that. And so for, for roughly a tenth the cost of what it would normally take to, to fly a CubeSat, we're able to have the same amount 
and, and capability um, for a payload to get hosted in that. And it's, you know, right now it's a, a three month cadence, which is in kind of an unheard of turnaround time for satellites of every three months is kind of unheard of to be able to um, in, in that time span lock in, you know, committing to a launch and then launching. Normally these are, are several year programs. Um, so there's a lot of, of companies right now that are really interested in getting rapid turnaround times and, and flight heritage for these new systems that they have. Because there's a lot of groups that have really cool systems that have been developed um, that are, are for all intents and purposes commercially viable, but without flight heritage, there's not that much interest in them. And so it's right. a way for those groups to get really quick, really quick flight heritage and uh, and start making these things more more appealing to uh, the broader community. What is the length of the mission for these uh, proposed troop payloads? Well, how long can someone validate some hardware? What What's the mission lifetime uh, if somebody uh, purchases one of these troop rides with you? Normally five to eight years, um, but there's going to be some rides that are up to the 20, 25 year lifetime. Wow. Yeah. That, that's outstanding. Um, uh, I don't know. I know you spent, there were some pictures way back in the day of you in a clean room busting your tail on thin sets. Mm. Is, are thin sets still part of your product line? And do you want to talk a little bit about the thin sat and the opportunities there? Yeah, I actually just uh, spent a you know, a couple of weeks locked down building CubeSats uh, about two months ago for a, an upcoming launch of those. Um, and so it's not going to be as, as a huge a constellation as we, as we did before with 60 or, or 30 units, uh, but it'll be a group of, I think, six of them this time. Okay. And that's equivalent to about a 1U CubeSat, right? That is equivalent to a 1U. So it's flying uh, six of these, you know, Thin sats as a one U, and then there's two other one U's that we're flying in tandem with that. So it's a full three U that's been sliced up into eight satellites, basically. Wow. Are wow. thin sats able to do the same kinds of research or payloads that a CubeSat would do, a regular? There's definite restrictions, you know, mostly on the the volume that and the power that can be provided to a payload. Um, but for for a lot of these things, like if if your payload is a is a PC board that's this big. Well, you don't need even a, a 1U CubeSat to support that. Um, and so, you know, it's basically finding that lowest common denominator of what's needed for a payload to successfully operate and collect data in space. Excellent. And um, there's a lot of cases where just a, a slice of toast is basically all the, the size that's needed. Uh, so Matt, uh, for our students, um, you I know you've uh, been on publications. Uh, not only are you an, uh, really an engineer, a physicist, I would call a scientist, but you're, you're definitely applied physics and engineering. Could you speak a little bit about your background and how important it is that um, you be really solid in your communications, both written and oral? Because I literally, you know, it was conversations with you six years ago, almost six years ago, that led to the, you know, the first middle school kids getting involved with CubeSats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's hard to, to overestimate the value of communication skills, even in a field that's as hard and number driven as, as engineering. Um, you know, if there, there's lots of super competent engineers out there, but that are doing amazing things but without the ability to relay that to people in a way that is is intuitive and helps them to understand 
um, it, it's really difficult for projects to move well um, and for there to be, a, you know, a, a passing of tasks from one group to the other and, and achieving of deadlines and stuff just, just because people are on different pages. And um, even, even outside of that, that technical application of communication, um, just being able to, to relate to people in a way that is, is personable and, and uh, write emails in a way that is, is, comes across with a friendly demeanor, you know, um, mm -hmm. it, it, I've, I've seen it um, be such a, a blessing in a lot of different situations that could have ended in, you know, groups kind of going their own way because of, of differences, but instead we were able to find some common ground, compromise on a few things, just because on a personal level, uh, we still had a connection, you know. Right. I, I got very few emails over the years from Hank Boss and Jeff Daly. They're the founders of Near Space mm -hmm. Launch. But I would imagine early on in the company's life, you were a lot of the face of NSL in the trenches with the potential customers and the customers. Is that a fair statement for the early years when you were at NSL? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was trying to at least and probably mischaracterizing almost everything we did. <laughs> Uh, but at least was uh, a friendly face that knew some uh, some of the jargon. Yeah. What's the most uh, enjoyable uh, conference or activity? Uh, what, in your experience with your satellites, what was your happy place or uh, a couple of memories that really stick out mm -hmm. in your work with satellites? Um, conferences, small sat is is the place to be. I mean, that's that's like uh, Disneyland for you know, a satellite engineer. Um, as far as the actual work, I think my my happy place is in the um, assembly integration of the hardware. So getting to take, you know, what has at times been years of working with CAD and electrical schematics and PowerPoint presentations and finally getting all the hardware, the, the PC boards, the, the frames and the nuts and bolts and, and get to put them all together and, and test electrical connections and um, actually see it come to life and start transmitting data and doing what it's supposed to do. That's, that's where I really get excited. Awesome. Well, as we are about to the end of our time together today, we always kind of close with these words of wisdom that you might have. So for our listeners who might be thinking, you know, a lot of times they just think about engineering, engineering, but your job seems to be a lot more than that. You get to be doing all kinds of uh, hat wearing. What would you say to somebody who's just heading off to college about being involved in something like what you do? Um, it's, it's a blast. Don't, don't get discouraged by things being challenging and, and not understanding any of the words people are even using. Um, if you're willing to stick it out and have some uh, compassion and some perseverance, I guarantee you'll, you'll do really well. You know, you'll learn it all and, and you'll be able to contribute in a meaningful way. Well, awesome. Um, well, for our folks here, Matt has been, uh, Matt Orvis has been the best friend that the Wolfpack has ever had. I mean, honestly, and we're, we're really glad to know you. I just want to thank you for taking a few minutes to be with us, us uh, to be with us today. And we, we hope maybe we can have you back sometime down the road and talk a little bit more. And, and what website for our listeners, if they wanted to learn more about Near Space Launch, if you want to plug the website, this is a good time to do it. Very complicated, nearspacelaunch.com. <laughs> one word. Yep, all one word. And, awesome. and we, I really appreciate you guys on a personal level. And I, I know our, our companies have done a lot of, a lot of work and I know we'll continue to, but you guys are 
very near and dear to our hearts. And I know we share a lot of the same DNA of, of willingness to innovate and try some crazy stuff. And uh, I think we've we've made a good team over the years in that. Well, thank, thanks a lot, Matt. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Great talking to you guys. Well, I, uh, Matt, Matt Orbis is literally one of the most awesome people I've met. Uh, it was 2016 small set, my first time there. I walk up to this young guy at a table and he starts talking about the fast bus and how near space launch had this really nice solution for us. And it was there that I got the inspiration that we would apply for our first uh, CubeSat and we were successful. Yeah, I remember my first time attending that conference, just being, uh, first of all, obviously out of my element, but I can see where somebody where that's what they do would be like a child, you know, in a candy store, as they say, it was really, um, even for someone who wasn't into satellites, I was impressed with how that went. So I do remember meeting them and they were really gracious with allowing the kids to kind of get in and get some pictures there. And, uh, and I can see why, why you admire him. For me, one of my takeaways would be when he was talking about if somebody was interested in, you know, um, pursuing a field to just to not to get overwhelmed by even the stuff that they don't know, like half the, you know, the, the words that you might be learning might be overwhelming, but that doesn't mean you give up. You just kind of learn as you go. And I also like how he said that, you know, his first few years there is where he kind of continued to do most of his learning. So it's just I'm, a reminder I'm, that you just, the hands-on stuff really helps. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to date myself a little, but for those of us that are old enough to remember Johnny Carson, Johnny Carson was, people really liked this. He had something called this Midwestern style about him. It was, he was very sort of humble and direct. And even though Matt Orvis is from Hawaii, he, the, the near space launch is in Indiana. And I know he and his family have been there for some years. And Matt is this perfect combination of technical competence and he does have good communication skills. He is able to relate to, to me, you know, uh, and I know much less than he does, and especially to our students. He has a really good demeanor with the kids and the way that he can take very complex material and make it digestible. And to me, as somebody who has been an educator, the people that I remember most in my life were the people that were incredibly good at what they did, but they could explain it to you in a way that you understood. And that's right. Now that we are ending uh, here, we want to just remind you that if you're interested and if you're, you have a child who's interested in joining, there'll be a brief promo for Space Club, which starts up again in January afterwards. But we hope that you will continue to listen, share this with your friends who might be interested. And as always, join us next week when we say, let's, let's go, go to space. space.